morning, guys. How you doing? Sorry, I'm going to turn around in a second. I'm not going to face this way the whole time. There's just a billion cables up here. Um, Happy New Year. Yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tanner. I'm the student minister here. Um, yeah, and if, you haven't, if you've been here before and you haven't seen me, nine times out of ten, I'm in the backfold group room leading our ministry for fourth through sixth graders called Mix 46. And sometimes I get the privilege of coming in here and being able to teach, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, just a little bit about myself, just so you can kind of put some details with the face. Uh, I'm 25 years old. I am an English teacher from middle school, so please pray for me as we go back tomorrow. <laughs> Um, pray for all your teachers, honestly. Uh, I love it. It's great. I've only been doing it a little while, and it's amazing. It's the best. Uh, if you were here at all in 2021, we spent the whole year with the umbrella of the kingdom of God as our focus. And so we walked through the gospel stories. We walked through the book of Acts. We walked through what it looks like to have um, specific things that are really hard in the kingdom and specific things that we are called to do in the kingdom. So we walked through what it looks like to live and what it looks like to do all these things. So I figured it was a good point today to focus on who our king is. As we end 2021 and walk into this new year, our focus being on the resurrected Jesus. So, like I said, so what is a kingdom without the king? Nothing. It's just a bunch of people who are just kind of trying to figure things out. So we're going to start by focusing on looking who Christ is. And in Christ, our lives are drastically changed from being about us to being about something that's greater than us. And so we're going to talk about a couple things today. We're going to talk about doubt. We're going to talk about Christ-likeness. And we're going to talk about what the greatest failure of the church is. And we're going to talk about how to counteract some of these things, okay? So I want to offer three reminders of this, of our faith in Christ, that we often get wrong, right? Doubt, Christ-likeness, and preaching the gospel. We often get a lot of those wrong, followed by some reflective questions, and then we're going to take communion, okay? So if you don't have one of these cups in your seat, if you sat on it, one and done. No, I'm just kidding. There should be some extra. If you don't have one of these, please try to find one um, when we get to that time. There's some in the front row. There's some all around. If you don't have one, just find one. Uh, disclaimer, really quick. So I, when I was in college, I heard a sermon from one of our professors that preached on these topics. And this sermon is based a little bit on those things because it was so impacting for me personally. It shaped the way that I live as a Christian. And so I want to just be very upfront with you about this. This is not something that I stole. This is not something that I'm trying to say is mine. It's not mine. If you hear something that's really good, it's probably not for me. If you hear something that's really bad, you can blame me. So I just want to offer that up, but I've changed some of these things to fit our context here at the fold, okay? So if you look on the screen, there's going to be a couple different scriptures that we're going to go through. Uh, we're going to hop around a good bit just because we went through a lot of these passages last year, and so I just want to highlight just a couple of them. If you have ever studied scripture in depth, you know that they are individual works, right? There's some letters, there's some narratives, there's some other things within there's poetry. And every work of literature has a focus and a theme within, inside of it. There's a goal of the author. There's a main idea. There's a bunch of these things. So what we're going to do when we go through these is I'm going to offer a couple of those main ideas within the text that's going to shape the sermon, okay? I just want to be very upfront with how we're going to do this because it might be a little confusing, but we're going to get through this. 
and we're going to see how believing and putting our faith in Christ drastically changes all of us, okay? So we're going to begin in Matthew 28, verses 17 through 20. And the first reminder of our faith is, as Christians, we will experience doubt, but too often we deny it. Matthew 28, 17 through 20 says, When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, when you look back in Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you see stories of people who doubted God. You see people who doubted, especially in the New Testament, people who doubted Jesus, people who called him possessed, people who called him a false teacher, people called him all kinds of names. But yet, in this passage, it says, but some doubted. He didn't say, fix your doubt, then go baptize people. He said, go in the face of your doubt. There are things that Scripture tells us to do in the face of our doubt. And the first one is found in Mark 9, 24. It's a very simple prayer. It's my prayer almost every single day. I believe, but help my unbelief. It's a simple prayer that acknowledges that God is being the one who gives us faith. Mark is telling us to beg God for faith in the face of our doubt. Because God is the only one who can provide that, okay? Faith isn't necessarily believing in the things that we can't see, right? A lot of the scripture teaches that. That's a very common thing that scripture teaches, that faith is believing in something we can't see. But I think you can take it a step further and say faith is believing in spite of the things you can see. If you walk out that door or open any social media app on your phone, it is very easy to see things in this life that make you want to turn away from Christ, make you want to believe that it's about you. It's about, it's about, it's about what you want. It's about your desires. But in reality, when we surrender to Christ, it makes our faith about him. We're not putting our faith in us because if we did, we're going to fail ourselves continually over and over and over and over again to where we're putting our clothes on Jesus and calling, calling that God rather than taking his clothes and putting them on us. When we're, clothed in, when we're clothed in righteousness, it's not our own. It's only his righteousness that makes us able to beg God for the faith in the face of our doubts. Faith is also a gift, as Paul teaches in Philippians 1, 29 through 30. It says, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw that I had, this is Paul talking, and now hear that I have. If you're familiar with scripture, Paul wrote Philippians in prison. He wrote this letter to uh, the Philippians while he was in jail, and he's going to say that faith is a gift while he's suffering. In the first chapter of, his, of this of Philippians, if you've never read Philippians, I, be, I encourage you to do so because it's very encouraging about where we are as a church and where we are as believers. So believing in the face of doubt is going to hurt. My mouth is dry. <laughs> Believing in the face of doubt is going to hurt. Okay? So if you look at Matthew's 
overall arching theme of scripture, okay, in his book. We just celebrated Christmas, right? What do we celebrate at Christmas? The birth of Jesus. God stepping into human flesh in the incarnation and living our life. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Who knows what in the Old Testament called, what Jesus' name is called? Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? I am with you always is what Jesus is saying at the very end of the the book of Matthew. I am with you always. God with us when he, in the Old Testament, God with us in the New Testament in the person of Jesus. I'm with you always, even in the face of your doubt. Doubt is not a sin, okay? It's not a sin. It's a real thing that we all struggle with. I struggle with it every single day, okay? Doubting in the face of things that I see almost every single day with my students, doubting in the face of things I see every day on my phone with my friends and my family. It's very hard to want to keep going sometimes. And that's a very real thing that all Christians will experience. Number two, as Christians, we are called to be like Christ, but a lot of times it is seen more as a burden than what it's really supposed to be. Luke 9, 23 says, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When I was in high school, um, I interned at this church um, not too far from here, and we did this big like service for Easter where we had these massive wooden crosses that had these long nails, like I'm like this long sticking out of them. And like 17 year old me was being an idiot and I was like dragging it across the auditorium to set it out on Sunday morning. And I was like, man, this would have really sucked. And like right about the time I said that, the cross got caught on a chair and fell. And one of those nails pierced my chest all the way this way. So I have a gnarly scar right here from it. And so every time I see that scar, I really am reminded of this scripture. I have this scripture uh, painted on a notebook. I literally have a scar to prove that this is what it looks like. Becoming like Christ leaves scars. Okay? The Christian sees faith as something that we have to suffer in. And we suffer because Jesus suffered. And if we're to be like Christ... We are going to suffer. Christ has promised to come back and complete what's already finished, right? That is something that the promise that we see in Scripture. We see that in Thessalonians. We see that in Revelation. We see that all throughout the New Testament. That Christ is going to come back and finish the thing that he already completed on the cross. And because of that, that is our hope. In the face of persecution, in the face of things that we experience It's like doubt, fear, anxiety, temptation, all of these hard things that we have to walk through every single day. It's worth it because it's sanctifying us, making us like Christ when we suffer with him in that. And so dying to ourselves, in other words, some, some translations change that verse to dying to yourself and taking up your cross or denying yourself and taking up your cross. When you do that, that is becoming like Christ. And it's harder than you think. And that's why a lot of churches and a lot of people say, you don't need to be like Christ. It's too hard. It's not a burden, guys. It's not. And it means when we go through those hardships, when we go through these things, Paul teaches this all throughout his letters. It's it's making us more like Christ. So in the face of doubt, we beg God for faith. Dying to ourselves 
makes us more like Christ. And number three, as Christians, our greatest failure is the failure to preach the gospel. If we're not preaching the gospel, we are failing as Christians. We are failing as a church. If I get up here and preach anything other than the gospel and just talk for 30 minutes about how to live a better life, how to be happier, how to find joy in things that are really hard, that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to preach the gospel because that's what Jesus did when he was on earth. If you look at the whole context of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it is God's salvation story from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation about how God is drawing his people back to him, okay? From the fall in Genesis 3, we were separated from the Lord, right? That's a separation, and you can see that in Scripture. But God has never been a God that's not, that's not, God is not a God of someone, God is not a God that doesn't redeem, okay? Everything is redeemable. Everything can be reconciled, okay? And that is shown in Scripture through the gospel, The foundation of the Christian church is that God sent Jesus, God the Father sent God the Son to earth to dwell among us, and God the Father and God the Son sent the Spirit to dwell in us, okay? If we're not preaching that as a church, if we're not not believing that in our daily lives as Christians, we have failed as a church. And now this is something that's a little like, little dicey. Some people might not agree with this, but if you look in scripture, it says it. The gospel is for everyone. Galatians 3.28. We are one in Christ Jesus. Okay? I would encourage you to go read Galatians because it says that. If Christ is not everything, then he is nothing. If he's not everything for everybody, he is nothing for everybody. Okay? Colossians 3.11. To put to death the sins... Put, put to death the sins of the flesh and put on Christ. He has to be everything for us. He has to be the reason we gather. He has to be the reason that we live. Everything is dependent on Christ. If it's not, then he is nothing. And in light of who the gospel is for, the church's responsibility is to care for those who the gospel is for. And the gospel is for everyone. Like I just said, and like scripture teaches, Therefore, the church is to care for everyone. No matter the differences politically, no matter the differences racially, no matter the differences religiously, we are to care for everyone. If you look at Jesus' life, who did he spend the most time with other than his disciples? The oppressed, the unworthy, the unclean, the things that culture said was bad, He spent time with those people, eating with them. In Luke's gospel, you see a whole theme of Jesus having meals with people, sitting at the table and sharing meals with them, sharing bread and eating and providing what is the sort of the substance of our life, which is food. We have to have food and water to live. But he is also the substance of our life. He is the source of and the sustainer of our life. And we see that in scripture. We see that when he lived, when he came and lived on this earth. That, the, the true meaning of Christmas is that. When we celebrate that as a church, that's what we are talking about. Jesus is our source and our sustainer. 
And if we forget that the church is for is about Christ, that the church is about following Christ and dying to ourselves to follow him, then we have missed the whole purpose of being a Christian. Love God and love people. If you read Luke 14, 13 through 14, you can see the people that Jesus hung out with. That is a very clear example of who Jesus is spending his time with. Okay. And so this is, this is, this is the last thing we're going to say, I'm going to say before we start taking communion. In Christ, we live our lives in between weeping and rejoicing. For me, this last year had a lot of things to celebrate. I passed an exam that I really needed to pass. I got my teaching license. I moved, did a lot of amazing things that was great and I really enjoyed. But I also spent a lot of time having mental breakdowns, having panic attacks, not knowing what I was doing, having the hardest time to get out of bed, to find, to want to get up. God never changed. My situations changed. Therefore, you spend your time in between weeping and rejoicing. Jesus did that. He spent his time celebrating with people, eating with people, enjoying his time with people, teaching about the kingdom of God. But he also spent his time weeping and crying and praying for those who did not want anything to do with him. We see that on the cross. We know that it is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Therefore, that is, that is something that we, we know. That is, our, that is our point of weeping. That is our point of knowing it is our fault that that happened. But we rejoice because that, the cross and the resurrection is what gives us life and keeps us free from the effects of sin and death. And so with those concepts in mind, we are going to experience doubt as Christians. It's just going to happen. Christ-likeness is not a burden. It is a gift. Becoming like Christ is a gift. And we as a church have to preach the gospel. If we do not preach the gospel, we miss the whole point. With those three things, I want to offer a couple reflection questions moving forward for this next year. For you to think about what happened last year and for you to move into the new so the first question I want you guys to think of, think about what spiritual discipline do I need to cultivate this year to be more like Christ? Spiritual disciplines are prayer, uh, scripture reading, fasting, worship, confession. Those are just some of them. For me, it's scripture reading. It is, for me, it's really hard sometimes to find time in the day to do it by being a full-time grad student, working a full-time job, and uh part-time being youth minister. You know, it's a, it's a hard time to do it. While a lot of those things are centered on the church, if I'm not spending that time filling up myself, then I can't, I can't pour out of a cup that's empty. So what spiritual discipline do you need to cultivate in order to become more like Christ? Number two, what did I learn about the character of God last year, and what does that mean for me this year? If you were here in August, I preached this, ooh, sorry, I preached this sermon um, on mental illness and from the story of Elijah. Elijah's uh, circumstances changed a lot in his story. He went from celebrating a really, like a powerful move of God to being to a place where he literally wanted to die within one chapter. And he learned the character of God is staying with him, gentle, peace, patient, fruits of the spirit, okay? 
what character of what what characteristic of God did you learn last year and what does that mean for you this year? And what do you need healing from this year? God is a God of redemption. I experienced firsthand a lot of redemption last year. Relationships, mental health, redemption from sin, healing from things that were really weighing me down. What do you need healing from this year? So I want you to think of that while we're getting ready to take communion. Okay, so you guys can come on up and we can go ahead and start transitioning into that. Think of those questions as we as we lean into this time where we remember when we think of communion. So just take a few seconds to reflect on that. is something that we do in remembrance. We remember when we take communion. It's something as believers we do. It's why we gather as a church. We remember these things. We remember that we have victory in Christ. One of the first examples of celebrating with this, with the bread and the wine, is found in Genesis 14, where Machesedek gives bread and wine to Abram after celebrating a victory. So we have this victory in Christ. And this is how we remember it. We remember it by taking this. This is not just a wafer and some juice that might be stale. It's, it's not that. It's an act of remembering who Jesus is and why he came. And this is a sacrament that is reserved for believers. So if this is the first time you've been in church in a while, this is the first time that you've heard the gospel preached, like I said before, the gospel's for everyone. Every single person in the seats and every single person outside of the walls. The gospel's for everyone. So I want to invite you personally to believe that. And if you believe that for the first time, that's awesome. That is between you and the Lord. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come up here and everyone's going to celebrate you. You don't have to do any of that stuff. That's between you and the Lord. But if you have believed in the resurrection of Christ and you are living in repentance of your sin, then you are invited to take this communion with us. Um. So yeah, so we're going to take communion now. So in, in the Gospels, the story, Jesus is taking his disciples into the upper room before, his, before he's arrested. And he sits down at a table with them. And I'm sure they're, you know, laughing, having a good time, enjoying company with one another. I'm probably wondering why they're all sitting on the same side of the table, um, enjoying communion with one another. And then he grabs the bread and he says, take this bread. This is my body, beaten and broken for you. And then Jesus takes the cup full of wine and he says, This is my blood poured out, shed for you.
this is the communion is not just something that we we do it's a way we live we live our lives in communion with one another and we live our lives in communion with the lord so i want you to take just a few minutes to sit in silence and pray and ask god what he wants for you this next year i'm not standing up here saying that 2022 is going to be the best year of your life or the worst year of your life asking you to hold it like this with your hands open surrender to the Lord for what he wants for your life, what he wants for my life and what he wants for the life of the church I really do believe that this year a lot of really awesome things are going to happen here at, this, at the fold and are going to a lot of healing and a lot of redemption and a lot of restoration and reconciliation is going to come to the people in these seats. I really believe that personally. It's not just me saying that. The last 18 months of this church has just been a whirlwind of a lot of things happening. And it is a miracle that we are still here. And so I wanna invite you to ask God what he wants for your life in this year. There's no right or wrong answer. Just, oh, you can do this, you, can, you don't have to do any of this. I just invite you to sit there and reflect on what the Lord wants you to do for this year.